Grace and peace to you from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Let me tell you how it is supposed to work. In the situation of a conflict between two or more parties, an accusation of criminal wrongdoing might be made. The accused is presumed innocent. The burden of proof is on the accuser, or the legal system that takes up their case, to prove beyond a reasonable doubt that the accused actually committed the crime. Witnesses are brought in. A certain number of judges or peers weigh the testimony, and a judgment is made. Protecting the innocent from a wrongful conviction more often than convicting the guilty of a crime. After all, the burden of proof lies with the accuser. That is how it is supposed to work in a fair world, a just world, a loving world. Sometimes it has worked in exactly that manner. A person falsely accused is tried and found guilty in the court of public opinion but they finally get their day in court. The evidence is on their side. The jury is impartial. And they are found not guilty and are free to go. Maybe a few thousand dollars poor and a year of anxiety under their belt, but free nonetheless. Sometimes the process has been abused. Defense lawyers sell out their client. Evidence is fabricated or other issues, like race, are brought into the case to taint the jury's deliberation. Sometimes there has been no process at all, just an angry mob that used vigilante tactics and called it justice. Justice, of course, is not a neutral concept. The question must be asked, who's justice? By what standard? Just as one man's trash is another man's treasure, one man's justice is another man's oppression. If there is no common operating worldview, no common sense of what is right or wrong, no shared value system, there can be no shared justice either. And if there is not the absolute commitment, the unseen unchampioned, and underappreciated commitment to virtue, there can be no justice. For much of life comes down to the daily decisions of men and women who have the power, for example, to decide guilt or innocence in the jury room, or if they will teach your children good things, or if they will be good neighbors, or if they will be attentive parents. As much as we hope that there could be some overriding government or organizational principle or set of laws that will keep all of this life in good order, the fact is that we almost totally rely on people doing the right thing for this to hang together. Sure, the law constrains a lot of the bad things we might want to do for fear of the sanction we might face. But a people who know what the right thing to do is, 
who studied and pursued wisdom and who made the right decisions most of the time would require very little law or government and we would have an abundance of peace. There is no substitute for personal virtue and there is no easy fix to corruption. Christianity, by and large, did offer a fix to the norm and standard of corruption. It took decades and perhaps centuries to filter up from the bottom. It, had, it has surely been an imperfect process. Indeed, the church itself often found itself in need of reform. But where the Bible was taught and heard and believed and followed, and where the cross of Christ was seen and adored, men and women realized that pursuing the good was the path to peace and prosperity. God himself, through the cross, has offered to us a pathway to peace with God, our ultimate judge. As we were and are honest about our sins, we began to create expectations of fairness and justice and honesty according to the ultimate standard of God. After all, if we are aware of our sin and we know that we have been forgiven of those sins, then we will surely influence how we treat others. The humility and love of Christ became contagious. And for a few centuries now, it has been a nice, if not a utopian, run. As we enter this post-Christian, post-modern, post-reason world, there is no longer a shared concern for justice. Oh, I... We all talk about justice. We're all concerned about it in principle. We just can't define what it is anymore. There is no shared standard of justice because there is no shared standard. And we see this play out every day. One Good Friday, we see mob justice, envy, jealousy, hatred, and demonic evil of the good conspire against Jesus and put him to death. The worst testimony against Jesus that he said he would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, that's not even a crime. As the kids say, it ain't bragging if it's true. Well, it ain't blasphemy if it's true either. So injustice, sadly, is not new. We've been led to believe that we can expect it because a Christian culture demands it. But what happens when we don't live in a Christian culture anymore? What happens when law students, attorneys, judges, and those who write the laws have a definition of justice that is radically different from God's. Who decides anymore what justice is? And by what standard? 
just as when Jesus was crucified? The answer is, those who have the power will decide. Jesus offers us all a better way. Jesus takes all of the evil that can be thrown his way, not only from the enemies of Jesus, but also from us too, who sin against God and neighbor. He dies to appease the wrath of a just and good God so that all who follow him might be saved. There can be no promise from a crucified God that we will also not suffer at the hands of the godless. But there is a promise that faith in the crucified Christ is what declares you free from sin and judgment and shame in God's eyes. I fear the day when God's standards of justice will be mocked and man's standards will be celebrated. Perhaps we have already reached that tipping point. Perhaps God's judgment against a blessed people is in full swing because we have been given great light and yet we seem content with darkness. But whether this is a period of God's judgment or God's blessing, we continue to live for an audience of one. Our lives must be dedicated and rededicated to God. The crucifixion of Jesus was the most egregious act of injustice imaginable, but he did it for you. So we live for him. Jesus' death is our only hope for justice in our own lives, and our living for Jesus is the only hope for justice in our neighbors' lives. So let us look to the cross. Let us thank God for his mercy, and let us pray for justice so that we can remain a people who enjoy the blessings of God.